Thank you for joining us here at Crossword Church for this week's message. Our desire is to see people's lives transform as they develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. We would like to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at mycrosswordchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. We're talking about prayer and answering the question, does prayer really work? And last week we covered some ground and got into some hindrances to prayer. And, um, and we call them prayer blockers. And uh, so we talked, about, um, I th- we talked about three of them, the first being doubt. And we're not going to recap all of them, we're just going to name them real quick. That doubt becomes a major prayer blocker. Um, The person that's double-minded should not expect to receive anything from God. That's James 1. And then number two, we talked about unforgiveness. And how sometimes unforgiveness can be lodged in our being. and, uh, And we can go along as though it's a resolved issue and it's not a resolved issue. And it becomes a deterrent. It becomes a hindrance in your prayer life if you have unforgiveness. And then we talked about unconfessed sin. And that David said in Psalm 66, he says, listen, if I had regard, um, in, I'm sorry, he said, if I had not confessed the sin that was in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. And so unconfessed sin was a hindrance. Number four, I'm going to talk today about idols. Idols that are in our heart. And as we um, go through some of these uh, hindrances here. We're going to hit some of them and just go, and in some of them we're going to park a little bit more. So Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, verse 3 says, Son of man, these men, so God is talking to the prophet, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me? at all (laughs) verse 6 says therefore say to the people of Israel this is what the sovereign Lord says repent and turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices amen so God is asking a question if you have idols in our heart should I listen to them should I Um, allow them to inquire of me and get their prayers answered and it's interesting he didn't he answered the question but not in the way we think because the absolute here is no but in verse 6 he says this is what needs to happen we need to repent see one of the things as it relates to our prayer life we have to have this posture that Lord I need you to search me we need to examine our lives to see if we're putting anything in our lives before God Because we live in a culture where um, idolatry and even the idolatry of self has become prominent, even in the church. And it's so easy for us to raise up other idols in our hearts. What What am I saying? I'm saying it's easy to have something else on the throne of your life and it's not really God. And we're showing up, lifting hands, we're, we're opening the Bible, we're doing groups and all these things. But there is something that's on the throne of your life. That that's the thing 
that's really the idol in your life. You know, we can think of some contemporary idols that people have today, you know, from uh, possessions, families, and friends. Even ministry can be an idol, and we have seen that. Um, um, ambition and pride and lust, even our plans. So here's the thing. God is obviously for family and friends and, and all of those things, but he does not want us to, um, to lose our intimacy and our focus on him at the expense of these things. He doesn't want our desire for friendship and fellowship and all these different things that we're doing, ambition, to take the place of my time with him. Also, also, we have to de determine if we have any of these blockers that we're kind of unpacking that are secretly in our hearts. You know, once we identify that we're operating in doubt, the response is, I've got to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to get that doubt out of my life. So how do you get doubt out of your life? The Bible says faith, <laughs> it comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the way that we replace doubt and what we replace doubt with is with faith. And the only way that we get faith in our life is to get more word in our life. And I'm not just talking about reading some, some lines on a sheet of paper. I'm talking about understanding that God's word is spirit and it's life. And when I, when I read it, when I commune with it, it has the potential and the ability to change who I am on the inside. Number five, hindrance is wrong motives. We touched on this a little bit in, in um, Bible study. Wrong motives, wrong motives. Um, this comes from James chapter 4, verse 3. James chapter 4, verse 3. James says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. The King James, uh, the New King James says this. Uh, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasure. What is, what is James talking about? He's talking about that we're praying for stuff and we don't get stuff because the motive behind the prayer is wrong. It's, it, does, it does not line up with the will of God. And so in order for us to pray and don't pray um, amiss, or for, for us to pray and not pray with wrong motives, it means that we need to have the heart and the mind of God as we pray. It, it's not only what we want in prayer that matters, but why we want it. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Obviously, we know we're praying God's will be done. But for us to really get God's will and to get God's desire in our heart, we have to be spending time with him and then he will put the desire in our heart. And therefore, when we're praying, we're praying his desire. Psalms 37. Um, and so what we pray for is why we pray for what we pray for is as important as just what we pray for. So motives do matter when it comes to answered prayer. Self-centered motives will hinder our prayer life. Ultimately, God wants his will to be done in our lives. And here's the thing. 
If I'm walking with the Lord, if I'm submitted to his word, I won't be praying with wrong motives. And if I am, his Holy Spirit will reveal that to me. Amen? Okay. Number six, lack of persistence. We're talking about hindrances to answered prayer. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. Jesus told them this parable, um, and the parable is really uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and he's talking about this persistent woman, and you should definitely read that. We won't go into that today. Um, what tends to happen is in prayer, we give up too soon. Uh, we're praying and asking God for something, or we're believing God for something, and it's not happening in the timeline or the timetable that we think it should happen. And what we do is we then quit praying, or we, we turn to another option. <laughs> Here's the thing. For the believer, we don't have another, a, sec, a, a plan B. I, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again because, you know, we live in a culture where we have all these different, we got plan A, B, C, down to plan Z. We got all these plans. And so when, when, the, when my plan don't work the way I want to, I just go to another plan. And somewhere in there from A to Z, God is in there somewhere. So I'll start out with what I want to do. And then if it doesn't work, then I go to, okay, God, you know. And then if that doesn't work, then I keep moving forward. Here's the thing. For us, we must rest in completely in God as it relates to his will for our life. We should be going to God First and foremost and only. <laughs> mm. You know, because we're in a microwave generation. Everybody want it now. Hmm. That's why Jesus stressed the need for perseverance as it relates to prayer. Because there's some things that when you're praying, you gotta you gotta keep on praying. You have to be determined in what you're praying. I think, I think this is something that the older saints can teach some of us younger saints. Y'all notice I said young, us younger saints, right? Uh, the older saints, there was a thing called um, holding on, right? And, and it's, it's really being able to pray and keep in a posture of believing and faith, knowing that God will do it in his timing. And so I got to pray. I got to pray through until I get a breakthrough. And, and so many times we just want to just pop off a little, a, a little prayer to the Lord. So many times what we want to do is we want to photobomb God. I learned that from James Way. We, gotta, we want to photobomb God a little prayer, right, and expect God to respond to us. No, 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 no. God wants us to be able to develop some uh, tenacity and some persistence in understanding that if we pray through it, that God will break through it. Mm. Okay, okay. Starting to feel good here. Uh, number seven. Number seven says, um, uh, little, so number seven is little prayer time. This is just an add on to number six, little prayer time. So some of us know the story in Matthew 26, uh, verse 40. I'm going to pick this up. You know, Jesus is about to go to the cross. It says, and then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. So here's the thing. We're jumping in the text. But here's the thing. You tell him, listen, I, I, you know, my heart is, is heavy. You know, I need to go 
and pray, and I need for you to tarry. Here's the old word. You know, I grew up in a church where we would have tarrying service for, 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 the, young, for the young folk that don't. Tarrying service means we're coming in on a Friday night, and we're staying all night at church. Um, we're not bringing our pajamas. We're not bringing no pillows, no blankets. What we're doing is we're coming to have business with God. And so we're going to tarry. We're going to press into God overnight. And it means that my mind, my heart, my, my body is fixed towards bombarding heaven, communing with God. So um, it says here, he found them sleeping. And here's the question. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And here's the reason. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. So he's asking them to pray, and instead of praying, they're sleeping. Has anyone ever decided, okay, I'm going to wake up early to pray? And you set the alarm, maybe you hit it a couple of times, but you finally pull yourself up, you go into your, rest, your, your restroom, your bathroom, you come out and you're going to finally, you start praying. And the moment you either your knees hit the ground or your head goes down, you start snoring. You, you had all the great intentions of you're going to really meet with God. You set everything out, right? And as soon as you get in that posture, you're, you find yourself Two hours pass, and you're like, what in the world? So, so let me just tell you what's going on there. Your spirit is willing, but your, your flesh is weak. So how do we empower our spirit so that our flesh lines up with our spirit? The word here is consecration. It's, it's, it's a willingness to do what is required to subject my flesh to the spirit. And so there's some things I might have to give up if I'm going to consecrate my flesh. Amen? Okay. Okay, let me just continue. When it comes to prayer, many Christians, Christians really struggle. Um, trying to pray. Listen to this. Trying to pray while your heart and your mind have not been prepared to commune with the Father makes prayer boring laborious and unfruitful. What am I saying? I'm saying if you're trying to pray when you haven't even prepared your mind and your heart to pray, it's gonna, the prayer is going to be boring and what's going to happen is five minutes is going to seem like five hours. You're going to look at your watch and say, wait a minute, it's only been five minutes? So the question is how do you prepare your heart and your mind for prayer? Well, there's some simple things that you can do. You can create an atmosphere with maybe some worship music. Worship music that maybe just ministers to your spirit, to your soul. And maybe it could be words in the, in the songs, or sometimes there's no words in the song. But what you're doing is you're creating an environment that you can be at peace and that the Holy Spirit can be with you. So how can we expect God to hear us if we, don't, if we give him very little time in our prayers? Hebrews 6 11.6 says um, that God rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. Diligently. Okay, I got to move. Number 11, number 11. I'm sorry, number 8. Hindrance number 8 is mistreating your spouse. <laughs> okay. So some of the brothers are like, what? God won't hear my prayers if I mistreat? Yes. 
mistreating your spouse. Now, the instruction here is for men, but I just want to give this, um, this uh, caveat. This is also for women. Okay, so, but, so here's the instruction. Here's in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as ears with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let me read it from the Amplified. Let me read from the Amplified. In the same way, you husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, with great gentleness and, and tact, and with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship, as with someone physically weaker, since she is a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. So this command is to the husbands. He's saying that there's a way that we should live in marriage that if we honor our wives, God will answer our prayers. And remember, those prayers have to also be in the will of God. But here's the guarantee. If we dishonor our wives, it's a guarantee that God won't hear our prayers. Amen? The word knowledge here, um, or um, understanding, it really speaks to having an intimate first-hand relationship with God. And out of that relationship with God, I'm relating with my wife, with my spouse. I'm allowing God's word to instruct my heart so that I can regard her with love and honor I will cover her. I will forgive her. I will guard her. I will wash her with the word on a day-to-day -day basis. So mistreating your spouse creates a challenge with God hearing your prayers. And the last one that we want to touch on today Hindering prayers. I'm going to talk about dishonor. Dishonor of God and dishonor of people. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 through 36, that's a reference. We see God sending a man to warn, warn the prophet Eli. Because Eli was honoring his sons who were priests, they were practicing priests, but they were sinful practicing priests. Everybody get what's going on? Uh, Eli is the prophet. He has some sons, so they inherited the family business, and they are now administering on God's behalf while practicing sin. And Eli, the dad, is not doing anything as it relates to correcting them. And so God sent someone to Eli. Verse 30, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, 30 says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promise that your branch, the tribe of Levi, would always be my priests. So he made a covenant that the tribe of Levi will always be his priests. He says, but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise or dishonor 
or lightly regard those who think lightly of me. So in, in essence, I will lightly regard those who dishonor me. Um, we don't really want to find ourselves in the category of being lightly regarded by God. <laughs> and so we see here that dishonor becomes a challenge. In Micah chapter 6, um, it tells us what does God require of us as his children. And this is a real popular verse, especially in this season that people are calling out. Um, but it says here, and what God requires of you is basically three things. To do justice. Don't just talk justice. Do justice. Um, to love kindness or to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. I think if I was to sum up this verse, it would say, what God requires of me is to honor him and honor, honor, honor others. Everybody see that? Honor him, honor God, and then honor other people. Amen? In the New Testament, there's also several scriptures that talk about um, honoring people and loving people. Um, this one I just want to look at real quick is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. And Peter says this, first part of that scripture, he says, honor some men, <laughs> all, we don't get the privilege to make a distinction with who we're going to honor. And that's one of the reasons why the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should not start looking like the culture. Okay, okay, I don't want to go. Okay, help me, Lord. Um, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. God is calling the church to honor all men. So, huh. biblically, when we dishonor God, we dishonor, um, he will dishonor us. So how do we honor God? We act justly. We love all people and demonstrate mercy. We walk in humility. We honor all men. We have a reverential fear of God, and we honor those that are in authority over us. This should be the characteristic of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This should be the thing that makes us salt and light, the thing that distinguishes how we respond versus how the world responds. So I'm going to get, I wanted to kind of get this because I'm going to deal, deal with something that's a little bit relevant today. It's maybe about five to six years old. I'm going to talk about why is ghosting not Christ-like, and how ghosting people dishonors God. If I were to pull this room and ask, has anyone ever been ghosted by a person, I'm pretty sure all the hands would go up. If this was a Bible study, I would do that, and I would see hands pop up. Have you ever been ghosted? And for those of you that might not know what the terminology means, um, uh, the terminology is about maybe five to six years old. And it's basically this idea of disconnecting from people that you say you care about. <laughs> the expression of, of ghosting appears uh, to come out of the dating culture. But now ghosting is, applied, is being applied across all kinds of sectors, from the professional world to the religious world. Young and old alike have been ghosted and are ghosting. 
See, the reason why your pastor is talking about this is because there is a culture of this fear and dishonor that's rampant, rampant in our country. Fear and dishonor. And if the church gets caught up and start acting out of fear and dishonor, we're going to start doing exactly the same thing that the world does. And what will happen is the enemy will put us a desensitize, um, will desensitize our spirit where we're doing things that are ungodly and unbiblical and we don't, it doesn't even bother us. It's like our conscience becomes seared with this act that is dishonoring God. Everybody tracking with me? Okay. Mm. Let me just read a little something from psychology, uh, psychology today. Just talks about seven essential psychological truths about ghosting. Just really, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of it. But he says, so ghosting is by and large not a great way to treat people you respect. And we would go further and we say it's not a way to treat people, period, right? It says it's a passive aggressive. It's passive aggressive. It's self-protective at the expense of others' feelings. And it's hard to stop. They continue and they say people who are ghosted become likely to start ghosting other people. We must counter this, tr this trend to work against a disposable, low valuation of people and a disrespected, disrespectful culture. So they're saying we need to work against, and they're not even Christian people. They're not even biblical people. Okay, so why, is, why uh, ghosting is harmful? It hurts the, uh, the victim's self-esteem. It destroys relationships. It hurts people. Um, more to be ghosted than to be told the truth about a matter. It blocks the possibility that, causes, that can cause an issue to be resolved. So... The Bible doesn't call out the word ghosting, but the principle, because ghosting usually is about either an offense of some sort or something else is going on on the, in, on the inside of the person. Amen? Okay, so let's just look at what the Bible says as it relates to conflict. And I'm going to tell you, church, the reason why you have so much confusion in the church is because we don't practice the word. We say we know the word. We say we love God, but we do the complete opposite. This is how God um, concludes whether or not you love him. It's not based on whether or not you say you love God. He said, if you love me, you will keep, you will do my commandments. Well, here's the thing. If you, if you don't know his commandments and you don't do them, that's one thing. But if you know his commandments and you choose to not do it, then you're operating in rebellion. Amen? And that's why when we come to the church house, we're not coming to be um, um, entertained or spectators. We're coming to be instructed in the word so that we can apply it to our lives so that we're not living as novices and those that don't know the word, but we're instructed in the word and our lives bear it out. Amen? Jesus said, Jesus said, um, if we are offended by a brother or a sister, we should go and be reconciled to him or her. Is that Bible? Amen. That's Bible. That's Matthew 5, 20, 23, 24. Um, not starting to ghost them. 
So if I'm, affect, if, if I'm offended with somebody or if I'm, I have a, a disagreement or a, a concern, I don't start ghosting the person. I go to the person. Am I pastoring y'all today? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> God wants us to do it right away. Don't wait and ponder and think about it and, and then go t- talk to a few people about it. No, no, no. He wants you to go to the person. Even, watch this, even before you come to church and you bring your offering before the Lord. Even before you, you show up to church and you're giving people high fives in the, in the vestibule and you're coming in and you're, you're singing and, you, and then you, before you do all that, God is saying, no, 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 you need to get that thing right with your brother and your sister. Why? Because I don't even accept what you're trying to do. That offering of a song, that offering of a smile, I'm not, I'm not accepting any offering that at the base of it, there's offense in the heart of the giver of the offering. Okay, And what has happened is we have become comfortable with sin in the church. And so we think it's about what we want to do. And we feel as though that if we show up, God should be happy that we show up. And God is saying, if you don't show up the right way, I'm begging you, please don't even show up. Because the attitude of showing up is the attitude of saying, God, I want you to be Lord and master of my life. Hmm. Listen, listen. So you go to the person, but what if they don't hear me? Um, if they don't listen to us when we go, then we're supposed to go bring someone else that's spiritual. Uh, the Bible said, go bring another spiritual person, a spiritual leader. If they don't listen to you and that other spiritual leader, go get the elders or those that are in leadership in the body. Don't go on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and start talking about the offense. But because we live in a culture where disrespect and fear runs rampant, we feel as though it's okay to disregard someone on social media and then still pray and think God's going to hear us. And what we're doing is we're disregarding the image of God on the person. The reason why Jesus didn't make a, um, a special list for the people that Christ was going to die for is because Jesus understands that the Father loves the whole world. And so the little scripture that we talk about all the time that we teach our children, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. The image of God is on every living person, whether they understand it or receive it or not. And so, in the church, that's what James had to get into the idea of people playing favoritism in the church. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. The Bible teaches us that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Love our neighbors. Now, that sounds real good, don't we? And we write songs about love. We, you know, we, we, we're in love and then we're out of love, <laughs> you know. And, we, and, and, and the world has reduced this word love to its lowest common denominator. Because really what's masquerading in the culture as love for a lot of people is lust. And we can't even discern that. Jesus says, hey, listen, love your neighbor as yourself, we he actually this is the great commandment. The great commandment. 
Ghosting sends the message that we really don't value or care about others. And we don't even really consider how that act make them feel. Because again, it's born out of self-centeredness. We are practicing the art of diminishing people that we say we care about by promoting self-centeredness and dishonor. Many people ghost for no apparent reason at all. If you ask them why, you just, they can't even really click to why they ghosted the person. It would require someone with some wisdom and knowledge and spiritual insight to really drill down as to what's really going on there. Some people ghost because they're afraid of deeper relationships. And so they pull, up, they pull away and they run. There are many benefits to confronting an issue or being honest with people. A couple of them. Clearing up misunderstandings, having people to understand each other, providing opportunity for constructive criticism. Jesus. Holding people accountable, enabling people to establish boundaries, defining acceptable and, um, and listen, defining acceptable and unacceptable behavior. It's like some people just want to be around you and they want you to accept anything they're doing. And so the minute you start calling out how your lifestyle is dishonoring God and dishonoring me as your, as your friend or whatever, all of a sudden you have the problem. It's like, what? Jesus. <laughs> um, it, also, it also provides opportunity for offenders to make amends. Ghosting people in general is an immature, lazy, fear-motivated, self-centered thing that hurts people and ruin relationships. God wants us to live in harmony with one another and love and honor one another. There's some scripture reference you can write down. Uh, Romans 12, 16 and 18, uh, Colossians 3, 15, and then John 13. So here's a couple of questions and we got to end here. How would you feel and what would you do if God decides to start ghosting you? So the question is, why are so many Christian people ghosting one another, but yet saying they love the God that the person they're ghosting love and serve? How can that honor God? I'm telling you, it does not. And there are literally a multitude of people that's being deceived today. So some final thoughts, five principles real quick about prayer. Number one, prayer without understanding is ineffective and causes great pain and frustration. I'll say it again. Prayer without understanding is ineffective and causes great pain and frustration. Number two, prayer is the power and the movement of God's kingdom and will in and through his people. A movement of his power and his and and a movement of his power I'm sorry, prayer is the power and movement of God's kingdom and will um, through his people. Prayer builds intimacy with God. Prayer honors his name, his nature, his character. Prayer respects his integrity. Prayer, prayer believes in God's word. It trusts in his love. It releases his grace. 
It strengthens the soul. It affirms his future, I'm sorry, his purposes and his will. And appropriate his promises in the life of the believer. I know I said, I said a whole lot there. I have to go back and listen to it. Number three, prayer is the demonstration of our trust and obedience in God by applying his word and being led by his spirit. Y'all get that? It's the demonstration of our trust and obedience in God by applying his word and being led by his spirit. Number four, prayer is submission to his will and participation in his purposes. And then number five, Prayer is an expression of our deep unity and relationship with God. It is the elevation of the human mind and spirit. Mind, heart, and spirit to God. I learned that from Dr. A.R. Bernard. Prayer is the elevation of the heart, mind, soul, and spirit to God. Amen? So here's the thing. Prayer does work, but we must be convinced about that fact. It doesn't make sense that I believe that prayer works and you don't believe. Because if you're praying, you need to believe. Amen?